Welcome to episode 173 of Three Bears in a Movie. I am Richard Laird and I'm with... Barry Neil. Barry, once again, we are doing this via the dreaded Zoom. It's how we see life now. and It's, it's very total recall, but ultimately it is just still what we're doing. Um, yeah. Hopefully we're going to get... If that's... It's a Sunday night. We are, one of us is, is now on holiday, so we can have a nice wee drink. Are you drinking anything of interest? Yes, I am drinking the lovely case of... A Brewdog Punk IPA that you got me, so I'm making my way through them. Well done. I mean, don't do the case in one night. That's that's a lot of booze. Um, I'm not going to promise anything because I have <laughs> also had a nap on the couch as well today. So <laughs> I'll, I'll expect some random text at three in the morning. Just you know, going on, just, you know, hopefully declaring love rather than being abusive. Well, um, you never know. I might leave you a voicemail. Yeah, <laughs> Um, I'm also on the. What about yourself? I'm also on the Brewdog. Uh, this one I'm having is Clockwork Tangerine, um, a well-known favourite of the previous nice. establishment. Um, Brewdog doing some good deals just now. You can get like something like ten percent off because of the Black Friday things and stuff like that. And I've got like about a sixty pound voucher to spend at them as well. So pretty much for the next couple of months, I will be only exclusively drinking Brewdog. Essentially, they're sponsoring this without actually nice. sponsoring it. Yeah. And just to keep on the brew dog theme, I discovered a couple of weeks back that we actually like sorry, I work right across the road from the brew dog at Eurocentral. So, yes. you know, I, I get to eye up their place every night. I'm like, oh hello. <laughs> I will have to come up that way so I can get into the other but over we can have a passport thing where you get like every time you go to a different brew dog and stamp the passport so you've been to that one. So you can I think there's like a hundred bars across mm. the world or something. So I've got like about ten so far. So I'm 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 building up. Um but I haven't eaten nice. that one yet, so I'll have to make sure I get a stamp when I come when I go into the, yeah. the dog in um, uh, Go Central. Um, now, as many people know, we are back in lockdown in Scotland, we're across the central belt, so essentially no one can go anywhere. So cinemas are definitely shut. Any cinema that was partly open is now completely shut. So there'll be no cinematic watches. Yeah. There's Again, because of all the lockdown across Britain, there's no football you can talk about. We can't talk about the camel layers. They're all shut down as well. So for the first time, we decided to actually talk about the cinematic news. Just a wee bit of chat at the start. So we'll have to bring a story yeah. to, to the floor. This is your suggestion. So we'll start off with you. What is the story you want to bring to the floor regarding movies and cinema you want to discuss at length or to some length? Just a very, very quick one okay. was that somehow... Harvey Weinstein has managed to still test negative for fucking COVID, even though he was showing the symptoms. And he has his health is like failing badly, and he still is hanging on. So I, I'm like, just hurry up, will you? <laughs> I so, I want Harvey Weinstein to live as long as possible, so he stays as, as much as possible in jail. It does seem like he is kind of suffering now with his health because it, it does sound quite bad now. Whatever's wrong with him, he's constantly complaining about it. So I'm okay with that. I want to suffer and I want to mm. I want to suffer enough that he can mm. stay in jail. I don't want to get let out and like sort of like compassionate leaving and that kind of shit. I want to stay in jail for as long as possible. Yeah. It's so frustrating because like Harvey yeah. Weinstein is involved so, in so many of my films that I love. You know, so many of the films that sort of define me mm. as a teenager. And now when I watch them again, it's like oh, I hate seeing his name on it. I know. It's so frustrating. Yeah, so, so like, yeah. All the Kevin Smith stuff has Harvey's name on it. All the Tarantino stuff, all the Lord of the Rings has it on it. Well, Scream, all the films, they all have his name on it. And it's so 
it's so heartbreaking to see you go. Yeah. You know, people on that set might have suffered at his hands because of who he was. Yeah. And it just it taints the film yeah. so much now. Do you know of the of they tried to remove his like logo from like the start of movies, or have they just left them? I think there's some sort of legal thing that they can't do that. I think if someone ah, okay. buys the catalog wholesale. They can maybe do ah, okay. something then, but I'm not entirely sure what the legal and the sort of the copyright law is that they can do that. Um, I'd, yeah, I'd, be, yeah, yeah. I'd be absolutely guessing as to what they can do, but it, it's one of the things you see. You see, you see his name attached to the credits, like, oh, this makes you feel just so icky. I know. You know? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that was, that was my first wee bit of news. Okay. The other one, which I feel like, well, this is like a proper conversation, which I feel you'll get more out of as stories coming out of Canada and it's Canada's largest movie chain Cineplex signs a deal with Universal uh, and what's happening is when this, their cinemas open back up again if they haven't opened up already is that they've now signed a deal with Universal where a lower tiered film will get put on the on demand services yeah. to pay to be paid for. I think a lower tier one is seventeen days and uh a like a triple A Marvel style movie, it'll be thirty one days. Once again you'll have to pay for the rental. Do you think that'll end up coming across the pond to us? Well essentially that's sort of what happened. The headline what sorry, sorry the headline was it's essentially the film industry's struggling to try and navigate this COVID problem mm. and this is their kind of solution. Do yeah. you feel this will come over the pond? Yes, I do. I think, unfortunately, I do. I think the big problem we've got right now is studios want to put stuff out, but they've been, they have been looking for a way to avoid the cinemas as much as possible to an extent because they don't see cinemas as being that yeah. big a deal because they feel they make more mm. money on the rental market. Um, the thing is, the deals with the cinemas are pretty lopsided towards the cinemas. No, sorry, towards the studios. Mm. So it's not like a 50-50 split of the, of the box office. I think from what, I'm, from what I know, these big releases that go out, it's something like 75% of the initial box office goes back to the studio. It doesn't go to the cinema. So for the first few weeks the cinema yeah. been, of this movie has been released, majority of that money is going back to the studio, not to the cinema chains. It's when the films stay on longer and longer and longer. That's when studios can make up. That's when cinema sorry, can make up a lot more money. You know, So when something like, say, mm. you know, Avengers stays in cinema for like, you know, 19 weeks, still making money. Yeah. The cinemas, are getting, the cinemas are taking a bigger chunk towards the end of that than the studios are. So studios are almost thinking they want to out the cinema as quickly as possible and get it onto the VOD, get mm. it onto Blu-ray, get it onto DVD so they can start making that secondary market up and that's where they can make the additional money from. From what I've seen so yeah. far, cinema chains in Britain have mostly resisted this. You know, but Universal is a big one and because of that, I believe cinema chains, I think it was Cineworld and I think Picture House, essentially said, if this is the rules for Universal Pictures, we're not going to show them at all. We will not show mm. them in our cinemas. Now, whether or not they do that is one thing I don't know. Cause I mean, that, that means you're taking out, say, that means essentially the Fast and Furious films would not get shown in cinema, like in the Picture House and Cineworld. Which no, that's, that's not a lot of money there. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, also, as a franchise, it should probably hurry up and die, but that's for <laughs> another day. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, yeah, uh, that's a bold statement for the cinema chains to come out and say that kind of stuff. Like, apart when the cinemas did briefly open here in the UK, I was apart from there wasn't a lot out. I was in absolutely no rush to go because 
I liked having the whole movie experience, like the kind of popcorn, the big juice, all the rest of it. But when that wasn't available, I was a bit like, well, what's the point in rushing to the cinema then? You know, I could happily just comfortably watch it in my house. I get that. And for, for people like yourself who are maybe not quite as sort of enthusiastic or sort of like the, the cinema going experience is not maybe quite in your blood yes. in the same way it is for like, for like myself. I, I've had this argument with people mm. in the past where people say, why do you want to cinema so much? We just wait for it and Blu-ray and watch it at home. And I go, well, it's the same as mm. why would you pay, why would you, why would people spend £50 a time to go and watch a football game in the stadium when it's pissing rain rather than watch it at home? Because if you watch it at home, you get the best yeah. in the house, you, 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 you're going to see everything that happens, you can stay nice and dry, you can have all your food and it costs you less money as well, so it makes more sense to watch a football game at home, surely. Same with a gig, why would you want to pay, spend 30 quid to go to a gig when you go to the gig, you spend 30 quid plus you've got to pay money on booze, blah, 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 and end up putting up to 100 pounds a night, and you could say live stream it for 15 quid and watch, or buy the DVD with it, like, you know, buy the DVD with the band, put the tour out and watch it then. Mm. Because there is a, there's, a, there's a certain atmosphere and there's an experience attached to seeing a film in yes. cinema, and that's something that I think people yeah. forget, and people maybe people who are not who just think who maybe go and see one film a month or one film every three months, or only go and see one Marvel film a year, they don't understand that there's a certain, mm. there's an absolute joy in going to see a film in the cinema and experience it with oh, yeah. other people. You know, like when I went and seen John Wick for the first time, I walked out of cinema and I went and seen that cinema. It was a bloody off. I just didn't know what it was. It's Keanu Reeves in an action film. Like fuck, I'll go and see it. Obviously, like, I love Keanu Reeves, and I'm going to go and see any film anyway. It was me and like maybe 20 people in the cinema watching it that morning, 11 o'clock in the morning, and we're mm-hmm. sitting watching this, and we come out and none of us knew each other, we all looked and going, that was fucking amazing. Like, that was genuinely fucking bright. Yeah, and yeah. I was sitting at home watching that, I wouldn't have got that moment of, like, talking to strangers of, like, that film was fucking brilliant. Like, none of us, none of us saw it coming, and that, to me, was a real joy of doing that. The same way if you're at a football match and your team score, you're hugging some random guy down the, down the, the line from me because you have this shared experience of enjoyment. You know, at a gig, you're dancing with some yeah. random person because it's just this shared experience and this shared enjoyment of being in that moment. And I think that's what, to close the cinemas or to limit the cinemas' ability to show things, that's the sadness I would have mm. for you. You miss that shared experience. Yeah, yeah. I totally, I, I do, I do understand it, you know. I do understand it from every point of view, no matter what you're into, that is always that element of being in the moment with people. It's just that a very strange moment in time when you've got cinemas over here pretty much trying to convince, well, pretty much trying to like almost play a strange poker game with the people that have all the movies. Yeah. You know? That's... I've been out in lockdown, well, not lockdown, when lockdown sort of broke for a, a few months there, which we can obviously, we've had issues that we've talked off cam, off mic about, you know, how we feel about that. But when they broke the lockdown for a few months, mm. I went to two restaurants and I went to a cinema and that, that port that mm. locked in, and I'll be honest with you, I felt safer in the cinema than I did in any of the restaurants. Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah, there was more ability to social distance, there was more space. It felt like I was definitely more and more in a little bubble watching the film. And the restaurant, yes. I did still feel yeah. like I was very close to people. And I think the cinemas actually unfortunately got the raw end of the deal being told you can't sit for three hours in the cinema with people, then you can actually social distance a lot better in the cinema than you can pretty much anywhere else. And also, compared to restaurants, let's just keep it on topic the staff in the cinema are probably a lot safer because they can actually kind of space themselves out and yeah. a lot of them aren't walking about. You'll yeah. maybe only have one or two of them walking about yeah. outside of that. A lot of them are standing at a till or whatever, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. The problem so, is yeah. it's, not, it's, not to do with, it's actually not to do with safety anymore. It's, well, it is down to safety, but it's, it's the repercussions of safety, which is if, for example, you're putting a big film on and every cinema has 
you know, limited its capacity to say like 35% of what it once was, then that means the maximum number of shows you can put on the same number mm -hmm. of shows you can put on, but you're going to get maximum, you know, 35 or 6% less crowd into it. You imagine, for example, two years ago, they put the Avengers on, yeah. Avengers um, Endgame came out. We went and saw that in, mm. at midnight, and that was a packed cinema, and apparently there was something like nine cinema screens in the one I was in, packed, and pretty much the same up and down the country. So think, think of the bank that is bringing for the, for the studio. That's huge. It's massive. like absolutely massive. Mm. If you were to put really sat down and put it out now, and you can only have the same number of screens, but only 35% of people watching the film, it's going to create problems. Mm. Number one, for demand, people are going to be very pissed off and try to get tickets for it and end up with a lot of anger and anything. And also, just the money that you bring in is going to be so, so limited. And also, it makes less room for anything else to come out. You know, because if, if, you've, if you've got like a tent... Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, the kind of one solution is that, like, one of these, like, for example, big Marvel movies, they take over pretty much a whole entire cinema uh -huh. for, like, however many weeks and just, like, space everybody out within all the holes you know oh. and it just something... just so they're still keeping capacity for that one movie but like oh. you said then everything else gets shoved to the side and oh. forgotten about so essentially any any mid-term any mid-level film and even sort of any indie film just cannot get screened and mm. in a lot of places it's like it's the same thing that happen with gigs you know we've talked about in the past but it's the fans that play like sort of wembley stadium and play like the massive sort of arenas they're fine they'll find a mm. way to make that work how do you get folk to how do you how can you make it financially viable to play something like the academies that we go to or like King Tots or you know the cat housing like you can't make that financially viable for these small bands to play it. So therefore all these small bands are gonna really struggle to find any sort of way to make a living on it. And that means you get this sort of this this loss of talent because a lot of the finally acting movies, a lot of the guys who are now make a lot of guys and girls are making sort of big budget franchise films. They usually started out making something indie, something small, and they've been poached by the studio to come and make something big. But you've got to try and prove yourself in something small yeah. first before you can get bumped up. And if they're not getting that chance and that opportunity yeah. for things to be seen, then how are you, how are you going to find that talent? So I want to ask you a question, yeah. dude. It, I think it's going to come here in some way. I'm hoping it's limited. I'm hoping people don't push it as much as they want. I hope, I hope the numbers don't add up to the studios, you know, to, to really push for this mm. sort of VOD within a month. But yeah. I, I imagine it will happen to some degree. Like, um, no, I'm trying to think of that movie that was on Disney Plus, Mulan. Mulan, Was yeah. that the last one that came out? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Paying, paying 20 pounds for a movie on top of like uh, already a monthly subscription, it's a bit fucking rich for my blood. Um, I agree. I've not paid for it. I don't know. It's just because I don't. It's, if it was Black e Widow, it was even, out, I might be more tempted. But yeah. Uh, I still don't want to extra premium. Yeah, certainly. Like, even with yourself, if you cancelled your Cine World card, even that, it still doesn't marry up no. how many movies you, you go and see, you yeah. know? So for myself, who's slightly less committed to like the movie side of things, it's like, I'd be... It'd be like once in a blue moon, I'd be really willing to part with that kind of money for just a maximum like three hour movie, you know. You want you want you're you're thinking more one a month at that point for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And for the money I pay, I'd be looking at roughly the same. For my what, what I pay for yeah. anyone will pick it monthly, I'm looking at one movie a month I would paying VOD on. Which is I, you've seen the amount of stuff I watch, that's not gonna satisfy my, my cravings. No. And I, as we all know, this is if it if it does happen, it does also leave the door wide open again to like 
maybe about 10 years ago where piracy was absolutely rife oh, and yeah. streaming services was a by, was the byproduct to try and get people to calm down with it. That, you think about it, Wonder, so, Woman's, Wonder Woman is going, is going straight from, in Britain it's going to cinema on the 16th, I think it is, of December, so they're going to show in some cinemas in Britain, but in America okay. it's going to like HBO Max, something that's called, right, on, on, I think it's either Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, one of the two is doing, one of the two is going to that. How quickly nice. do you reckon after that film is hits HBO Max, will it be available for download on Pirate Day or in that? An hour? Two hours? You know, it'll be almost yeah. instantaneous. So even if you... So yeah. If HBO Max suddenly think you know they can make their money up by buying people buying subscriptions to watch this so they can watch it when it first comes out, that's not going to happen. People are going to wait two hours extra and download it and download it for free. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Like we all seen it with uh, Mulan. Like how quickly did that appear on like, on the mm-hmm. downloading sites and on the on the uh, streaming cards and all that? Like that was wild. I don't even think it had been twenty four hours yeah. and it was already on, ready to be viewed. And you're exactly. like. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> and I know we've got a bit more flexibility, but think of the people that are like, that have got like families and all that. Yeah. They, they're not going to part with 20 quid like every time like a kid's movie comes out. They'll yeah. start like trying to download it or know people who can download it for them and yeah. stick it on a USB stick, all that shit. It's like, People will find a way round about all this, you know. So the other option it, is what Disney do is Disney rather than making it worth five ninety nine a month for Disney, Disney becomes fifteen to twenty pounds a month because they have to sort of offset the um, the losses they're making. Yeah. You know, because Disney is, used to make money on its parks and make money on everything yeah. else. Its parks are all shut just now. It's not making that much. It's not making that much t- constant money now. So they're going to start looking at going out and recoup some of these losses. Yeah, yeah. My fucking Disney shares are fucking tanked at the moment. I'm like, hurry the fuck up, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> Come on. But yeah, man. The, yeah. So, have you got any news to bring to the table? Mine was kind of wrapped up in what we talked about there. Sort of the, the real struggle of cinema right now. Wonder Woman moving to not only, ah, okay. not only getting released later, but released on VOD as well. It's sort of a big thing. I did not, mm. I really, I, I didn't, I saw it happening with a few films, but I did not see something like mm. Wonder Woman going to on demand. Um, that's especially, film especially because, especially because like the one, the last Wonder Woman movie done so well in the cinemas. I feel like this is a bit of a kind of risky gamble with such a, a, a with such like a a strong like uh, lead woman movie like superhero yeah. movie you know it's it is right up there with like uh, one of the better franchises yeah i mean so will it make 500 million from its streaming people buying it no probably. chance no, no chance. probably will well, do, do that i think we'll do that people who i think people who don't want to buy films will buy a film like one of them that's something they'll buy but will it make the billion I they think... hope for no it won't make a billion but make 500 million which they, they, they were banking it making a billion same as something like fast and furious yeah. same as something like um, the Bond films, like they want these films to make a billion. They don't want five million. Mm. They need a billion out of these films, and if they don't make that, then they're making yeah. a loss. So it won't make that level of money. I think anything. This is just my opinion right now. Anything that comes out now on VOD, and at least for the next maybe, let's say six months, right? The movies will make. 
a good amount of coin. See if this keeps on dragging on and the cinemas still aren't back to where they should be. Yeah. That's when I think a lot of people will start pirating stuff. Right now, I think Wonder Woman, as we've just said, will do really well because people are like, right, bit of a novelty. It's just came out. Here's 20 quid. Three, four, five, six films down the line, you're like, man, this fucking 20 quid is getting really fucking... Yeah. This is getting a pain in the arse now. Yeah. Also, I'm not going to buy... I watched The Hunt recently. It's now available on free TV, like sort of like Sky yeah. Movies. Yeah. If I paid 20 quid to watch The Hunt, I'd be royal... I enjoyed it. It was immensely fun. It was a decent, fun film. But I would mm. not have wanted to pay 20 quid to watch that on VOD. I, would, I was quite happy to yeah. put it on Sky Premier and watch it that way. Um, yep. So I guess people are going to be very, very questionable what to buy. I think only for something like Wonder Woman, like Black Widow, possibly a Bond film, maybe Fast Furious, yeah. maybe make any sort of real serious money back on it because people do want to see those films. You will maybe pay the extra premium for those. I'd, I'd, I'd be fucking disappointed if I parted 20 quid for a Fast and Furious movie. Even even the ones that have got the rock in it, I'd still be like, oh, that was not worth 20 quid. Where the fuck is Pirate Bay? Unfortunately, cinema. I don't think it's, it's not like cinema's dead, but the chances of a resurrection no. are looking a lot slimmer these days. The nailing in the coffin right now, unfortunately. Um, I'm hoping yeah. that they'll kick the coffin open, but it's it's beginning to look like it's the cinema. The cinema change as we know it. The the the, the ease of going to see a film at cinema looks like it's about to kind of that is maybe something we tell our kids about, like how we used to go and see hundreds of films a year, and um, mm. rather you know, and cinemas are like massive multiplexes, like hundreds of people went to into every single day. It might be you might get more of these sort of boutique cinemas and these small, which are absolutely great. And they show films, they show great films, but they're not showing the same scale and level of films that you know, people always want to see. So, have you ever do? done the cat? Have you ever done the cat like um, the themed drive-in movie? You know I've how they it, do them at like Halloween it. and Christmas. Not Halloween Christmas. We done it once. We went and seen Jaws play at the cinema, mm. play at the drive-in at Troon Harbour. It was nice. It was fun. It was enjoyable. But I'm not thinking I'm going to pay, you know, I think it was like 30 quid a car every single time to do that. And that's, yeah. again, too rich. And it's fun for a novice yeah, yeah. to go and see a film that I've seen before, like to see Jaws by the Seaside, which is kind of cool. But I don't know if I want to see a film for the first time in that kind of environment. I feel as though I want to enjoy it in no. the proper way. Not in the bra- I mean, drive throughs could work, but they have to make it more financially viable for me. You know, to make it so I'm not going to pay 30 pound a time for a movie. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But... What we're, what we're all relying on now is the streaming services. We are enjoying them, we're loving them, we're trying to watch as much stuff as possible on them, just trying to stave off the boredom of what is now lockdown number two. So we're going to start today with one that's on Apple Plus. Um, mm. which you get some interesting content recently. If begin, I'm, I'm quite liking its original content. It's, it's been different, it's been interesting. It's not, pump, it's not like pumping the stuff out like, you know, day-to-day. It's, it's been a bit more sort of reserved with what it's putting out. It's, it's been a bit more selective in what it's doing, which I think is nice compared to, you know, like a Netflix, which seems to put something new up every 15 minutes, and the, the content is variable at that point. So Yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite... Oh, it's how we enter. Even with Netflix, it's like a lot of things just go zooming by you. So yeah. it's like, unless they're really pushing it and it really grabs me, a lot of the time I just fucking miss it anyway. Yeah, but, but no, I, I do feel... It's a nicer, it's a it's a more gentlemanly pace over an apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. it's not their main, it's not their main concentration. But um, there's some. No. We talked a few things. You know, we watched um, Ted Lasso. I think we both really enjoyed on Apple Plus. 
Um, mm. We both enjoyed the, the motorbike one with Ian McGregor. We talked about it last week. We both really enjoyed that. They had the film Greyhound, which I think yeah. both quite liked as well. There's been a few things on it that we've enjoyed. This is a new film. Um, this one by Sophie Coppola. Um, it's called On the Rocks. Uh, Sophie Coppola directed The Lost in Translation, The Virgin Suicides, The Beguiled recently, and The Bling Rings, which is not real. Sophie, just Sophie Coppola. She's from the Coppola family. She's got kudos. Um, the plot of this film is there's a middle-aged woman, you know, she's a mother to two, and she starts to think that her husband is having an affair because he's always away on business and he's, and he's running his, he's sort of running his kind of startup thing, but he always seems to be away on business with a very glamorous, you know, assistant. Um, she oh, yes. gets in contact with her father um, and he sort of basically insists that he is cheating on her. So the, the two of them basically team up to try and sort of gather evidence and, and spy on the husband to try and figure out if he's having an affair or not. And it's about the two of them, their relationship reassessing and rebonding. At the same time, she's sort of questioning her marriage and her life and then what she knew about her life. You know, the fact that her husband might be cheating on her after like sort of 10 years of marriage and, and two kids and things like that. And I just watching her, like sort of her sort of semi midlife crisis, semi sort of midlife reevaluation. Um, alongside her father, who's by mm. all accounts, he's been he's been the cheating husband in the past. So it, it, he comes from a yes. perspective. Uh, in the film, you've got Rashida Jones playing the so the main character. Her father is played by uh, everyone's favourite Bill Murray. Her husband is played by Marlon Wayans. We've not seen the film for a while. Uh, you've got Jessica Henwick. She plays the glamorous assistant. And you've got Jenny Slate turns up in it as a sort of quite annoying friend who's at the school mm. all the time. Um, what do you think of this one? I enjoyed it for the most part. Mm. It, as you know, it's always great to see Bill Murray on the on a movie. You know, the the man can do no wrong. It's nice to see Bill Murray in, in charm mode. Bill Murray's exceptionally charming in this. Like he's not quite screwed. Yeah. He's charming when he's a bit of an arsehole. And this is a bit of an arse, but he is exceptionally charming in the way Bill is. You feel drawn. He's, he's that, he's a, yeah. he is on that Ghostbusters level form where he's just totally just, you are just the funnest guy in the world. And you, he's not been that for a while, mm. actually. Maybe he's been more kind of serious recently. Yeah. That was nice. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So, yeah. In terms of the movie, I found it was going along fine. And then all of a sudden, maybe like three quarters of the way through the movie, it, I was just about. It seemed to kind of lose its way, and then they kind of just made up an ending, and it was a bit like, ah, okay, you know, because all things considered, the way this story goes for like three quarters of the movie, I personally found that it was leading to this guy is cheating. Yeah, and then spoils, <laughs> and then it transpires that he's not, and you're just about like. Right, so this whole entire thing's just been a complete waste of time then. Yeah, it, felt, it felt, I'm the same as you, it, it felt very fluffy and it felt very char- very charming. Like the, the two of them, like sort of, uh, Rashida Jones and Bill Murray together, they're, they're lovely together, they play a lovely sort of um, ballad mm. daughter. A lot oh, the yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But the drama and, didn't and the engage. Fact that, like the sort, of, the, the, the sort of drama aspect of like her going through this crisis doesn't really engage that much. You can go just fucking ask him. Don't go about all this weird yeah. shit. You're, you know, it just seems a bit mad, you know, and not an interest enough mad. The real joy in the film is watching them all together. That's the fun part, not the story itself. Mm. What what I did actually enjoy was the 
if you remember it, the very first interaction between Bill Murray and uh, Marlon Wayans. Yes. Out, out in his like doorway, uh-huh. it's like the, when they pass each other. That to me, I was just a bit like, eh, yeah, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, you exactly. know, like, because so what, what because Bill Murray. Yeah, it's because like Bill Murray's like character is this absolutely like playboy, and he's and he just like knows the signals kind of thing. But it's uh, yeah, like I said, it kind of just it kind of just started like losing losing momentum at least in the second half of the movie. Then just kind of randomly wrapped up, and you're just about like, oh, okay. The story lost momentum. The charm of the actors didn't lose momentum. Oh, that's that's the thing. They, they took no. the, all the everyone in it is excellent, and I really enjoyed everything they did. Um, when they go to the holiday resort, that yeah. is when it's absolutely priceless. You know, I agreed. Um, I thought Coppola's again. Look, the film looked amazing. Like New York City looked really nice and really pretty. And really, she's very much in love yeah. with the city, but it wasn't the usual New York shots of like Statue of Liberty and the Brooklyn Bridge and the. Mm. You know, World Trade Center one rock and stuff. It was very much. It felt like a real New York in many ways. So it, it's idealized in many yeah, ways, it, but it felt more sort of like it, an area of New York as opposed to just trying to show off the city, which I thought was really nice. Yes, it seemed more like what New Yorkers actually see, rather yes. than like you said, all the touristy landmark yeah. things that nobody needs to see anymore. Yeah. If you see a yellow cab, we know it's fucking New York, right? Exactly, you don't yeah. need to see. The Empire State Building to get it. If you say it's New York and I see a yellow cab, it's fucking New York, yes. right? Um, yeah. And you see the brownstones and stuff like that. So I, I, I enjoyed that. It had that kind of almost, not to use his name in vain, or use his name at all, but Woody, kind of Woody Allen-esque feel to it in terms of like this sort of mm. love for the city um, and the enjoyment she has for the city. That definitely shone through. So I really enjoyed that um, aspect of it as well. Main thing, Bill Murray is in pure charm yeah. mode. He is fantastic, is in charming that. Like pretty much every girl yeah, yeah. who he talks to, you assume he's either has or is going to sleep with at some point. You know, it doesn't matter who he's talking to, <laughs> yeah, he is he's definitely going to sleep with them at some point. Yep. Yep. Which was in a really nice yeah. in a, almost in a nice way as well. It didn't feel like he was sleazy, it felt like he was just very, very charming, which I thought was nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's um I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember her, but uh, Jenny Slate, she was in Parks and Recreation. Yes, it felt like she was just revisiting that character again, but like as like a slightly old, like I can more cat family, uh, like a family woman now because she's got kids. It just felt the exact same character, and you're just like, wow, this is just like the grown up version of the girl from Parks and Recreation. I like Jenny Slate a lot. Um, she's in a lot of stuff, but she does. She has, she's very much a typecast. Um, as what she can do. She's got no, a no. sweet, innocent voice. Kind of almost quite, mm. quite, quite cute to look about her. So she always kind of falls into that kind of similar to a role. Um, her actually, yeah, her yeah. voice work is a lot better because it's not better, but so she has a lot more range in her voice work. And she does like sort of voiceovers and sort of uh, animation voices. Um, she has a lot more sort of range. Mm. Um, yeah, a bit. She, her role's a bit kind of throwaway. It didn't like really add much to it, which is a bit of a shame because yeah, she's a very good actress, and it was a real shame to see somebody like that not having much to do. She really needed a bit more of a story. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Even Marlon yeah, Wayne she just didn't felt like she was story. kind of just filler. Yeah, even Wayne didn't get much of a story. The, the, the main, the main crux of the story is Bill Murray and Michelle Jones. Everything sort of revolves around them. Yes. It is really just a father-daughter movie. Yeah. It just so happens to be that she's kind of having a bit of a midlife crisis and also thinking her husband's cheating on her. Right. 
Um, which in terms of, you don't yeah. really see that often. The, the, you see a lot of father-son films. You see a lot of like mother-son films. You don't generally see a lot of mm. father-daughter films. You know, it's actually quite rare. Yeah. Father Bride is the only one I can think of offhand. It's sort of like involving a father and the, and the daughter. You know, it's a lot of it's a lot more stuff. It's a lot yeah. more about like sort of the. It's always like if it's a father, it'll be the father and son. The mother will be mother and daughter, perhaps a mother and son. But yeah, father and daughter is something that's quite rarely done. So that that was a, that was again a nice change. Um, from, from the usual. Three men and a baby, you know. Yeah, good show actually. Well done. A well pulled, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, on the rocks. Overall, I enjoyed it. It's a nice, it's a fluffy film. It's, it comes in at maybe about 95 minutes, something like that, 100 minutes. It's not long, is it? It's not that overall. Yeah, it's pr- you know, it's pretty short. Yeah, an hour and so 37 minutes, yeah. Yeah. An hour and what, 37? Yeah, so it's yeah, like an hour and 37. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice... So it moves. You know, it doesn't hang about. Thing about so it's a nice Friday watch and, and I watch it and it's just a nice charming watch. But I don't think compared to Sophie Coppola's other works, stuff like The Big Island and Lost in Translation, Mother mm. Suicides, and like The Bling Ring, I thought even was sort of more interesting. They all kind of stick more in the memory of being more mm-hmm. interesting. This was very much just a solid filler movie from 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 a uh, from a uh, Sophie Coppola. Um, out of ten, what do you give it? I'm giving it seven and a half out of ten. That's fair. I'm the same. I'm giving it seven out of ten. So very much enjoyable, oh. but. Nothing to majorly write home about, but definitely watch it. If you like Bill Murray, you'll definitely enjoy it. Bill Murray is charming yeah. as fuck. So now on to the second film and the second streaming service available. And this one is the one we all have, which is Netflix. The film is John mm. Henry, directed by Will Forbes. It's his debut feature. Uh, in the film, you've got Terry Crews playing John Henry. Ludacris from Fast and Furious, which we've talked about way too much on this podcast already today. Ken Forey, and also Jamelia Velaquez. The plot of this film is John Henry is a previous convict who is let out of prison and someone turns up at his doorstep badly needing help. He takes her on board and, and proceeds to basically hunt down those responsible for her situation to try and get her into freedom and get away from the, the life she once had. Is that a basic of it, yes? Yes, that yes. pretty much sums up the movie. Yes. Um, now, John Henry, if people don't know, he's a very famous person in American folklore, so this is not anything to do with the film, but John Henry was a guy who... Do you know who John Henry is? Have you heard the John Henry story? To be John, honest, when I was sitting there watching it, I was originally thinking it was a comic book character, so... No, he's not. He is kind of, he is kind of in a way, but John Henry was a guy who, in folklore, was when America was building the railway across the, the, across the country, um, the sort of foreman brought in this sort of like, mm-hmm. like sort of machine that would do all the steel driving for him. So basically putting thousands of men out of work because they didn't need all these men to do the job. And he's basically this guy who would hammer the nails in as hard as a machine did to prove that a man could do it just as good as a machine and ends up basically dying because of overwork, over essentially. Um, but this sort of, you know, sort of folklore figure in American, in America. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of songs about uh, John Henry. There's a good Springsteen song about it called John Henry. Yeah. So I can't listen to it. Um, but yeah, cool. um, I'll start on this one, and I'm going to straight off the bat with this one. This film is fucking awful. This is one of the worst things that I've watched <laughs> in the past oh, year. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had I had a horrible thing that I was the only one that was sitting there going, Terry Crews is literally the best thing in this movie, and even then, that's not his fucking wheelhouse. No. You know, um, I'm, it was. Any attempt to be a gritty thriller was just utterly lost. The acting across yeah. the board, including Mr. Cruz, is universally mm. fucking awful. Ludacris is yeah. well named for his acting ability in this film because he has nothing going on. Ken Forey, who I love, he's in Dawn of the Dead. He is a great actor. He is a wonderful 
human being by all accounts. Mm. Even he felt his performance wasn't bad. He was he played the the dad in the wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, he right. was more just like a side character more than anything. He was in a different film. It felt like he just felt like his, he just didn't feel like he belonged in that film. Um, yeah, totally. And Jamelia Veliquez playing sort of like the damsel in distress just was again not her fault, but she just she wasn't she was awful in the film. But just the acting, her ability, and that leaves a lot to maybe the director hire the wrong person for the role. Did the director know how to like sort of mm. engage with these actors to try and get performance out of the movie to sort of be more believable? But she at no point was believable in the film. I thought the plot was horrendous. I thought the dialogue was terrible. I thought the villain mm. brought absolutely zero interest in any sort of menace. It just again made no sense. And the film is like 91 minutes yeah. long, which I reckon is at least 90 minutes too long. Because every minute after the first minute, I felt it was dragging beyond fucking hell. It was truly one of the worst things I've watched for a long time. Totally, totally agree. It's what pissed me off in at least the early parts of the of the movie was the fact that they kept on bouncing between English and let's let Spanish or Portuguese or something. Yeah. So that kind of pissed me off. And then it was like it got to the point where I ended up having to switch on the subtitles because I felt like I was missing that much of the story yes. about what was going on, only to transpire that I was actually missing nothing. Yeah. Because really there wasn't any story there. Um as for the bad guy, uh, Ludacris, he's never fucking in it. And when he is in it, he's not doing anything, he's just sitting about. And you're like, right, I get it, you're like the kind of kingpin of like a gang, but like, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just, he brought, it, he brought no menace to what his role was. There's nothing about made me think, oh, you're a guy who I want to avoid. There's nothing about made me go, oh, you're clearly mm. dangerous. Um, yeah. Terry Crews, just have, I love Terry Crews. We both know huge massive fans yeah. of um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Nine-Nine. So we, we want to see Terry do well. But Terry's mm. acting chops just here were just were, were solely lacking. There was nothing about him that made you go, oh, Terry's really brought it in this. It just, it just, 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 again, totally lost. That This is going to sound horrible, and, it, you know, as what it is. But I think Terry Crews, from what we see of him in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, that's like a perfect Terry Crews role. Uh-huh. Funny. But he's a side character. He's not really a lead. I never really see him as a lead guy. Agreed. You know, but Agreed. he's but he's there as like good comical effect and also, you know, maybe like the odd occasional henchman or something in a movie, but definitely not a lead character. No, hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. I think he's he is one of the guys who in the in the roles he's in, but we see him in the the we've loved him in, like Idiocrasis Idiocracy and also in Brooklyn. Nine nine, he brings so much to those like sort of moments that he's in. Um, mm. But unless he didn't bring anything at all to it, I just, I just didn't find anything about it interesting when it came to what he was doing. Um, yeah, and again, and all this can come down to, was, to the act, to the director not being able to inspire his, his, his performances out of these people, out of these actors. That's, that's the director's job to, to do to sort of to craft mm. the story and to craft the actor into the performance he wants. Clearly, he's not done any of that. Mm. He felt like he just he let them do what they want to do, and he went, all right, fine, I'll do it, and he's moved on. It just seemed, there was nothing about it that made me go, there's any sort of craft here to, to get a performance out of someone. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was pretty underwhelmed to be honest, and I did start losing like interest in it very quickly. Yeah, I don't even think I got to the half hour mark, and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of over this. You know, yeah. it's. I mean, yeah. yeah, literally by the half hour mark, I'm like, this film has done everything I wanted to do. I want. I have no interest in finishing this off. It just, but I, obviously, I will finish yeah. it off because I'm, I'm committed and professional. Of course, because you're Richard. Yeah. I'm Richard. I watch anything that's there. Yep. Um, but yeah, I lost interest very quickly with it, and I dare say I was in the cinema. I would probably look at the doors off, sitting at home. The phone came out a little bit. You, know, you start scrolling, you start scrolling things, yeah. start checking out other things. You don't really engage with it that much. This is this kind of, to go back to before we started talking about the movies. Imagine parting with twenty quid for this movie. Imagine that, like, because you will like you will part with money if it goes that way, and you hit an absolute clunker. You're gonna be like. I, I don't know and if you hit a couple of clunkers you're going to be like I can't keep this up it's like uh-huh. you know two yeah. movies 40 quid and you're like Jesus man that's like two f- Fast and Furious movies I've wasted fucking money on yes you know what I hate towards the Fast and the Furious so. um, <laughs> out of 10 what are you giving John Henry <sighs> like four and that's only because fucking Teddy Cruz <laughs> I'm giving it two because Terry Crews is in it, and I like Terry Crews. But other than that, there's not a single redeeming feature of this film. I was wow. thoroughly bored and, and left uninterested by it. And not only that, I thought it was fucking badly made. I thought it was poorly mm. made as well. Um, I mean, yeah. I can forgive a lot, but a badly made film in this day and age, and with the money that probably... This, and this wasn't a huge budget, but it had some budget spent on it. I felt it could have been, it could have been done. It should have been done at least a professional standard in this was not done to that respect. So I, I give it a very low mark. Two out of ten. Avoid this film. People, if you're watching, you listen to this, do not watch Ted John Henry. Find anything else. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And from that, we go on to the last film of the day, which is uh, another Netflix release. It's a British horror film called His House, directed by Remy Weeks. It's his debut flick as well. And the plot of this film is there's two asylum seekers who come over from, I believe, the Sudan. They end up in Britain. They get put into a house, um, but when they're in the house, they find out the house has actually got a, a spirit in it that is haunting them, um, and is trying to drive them from the house. The rubber this, the rubber this point is though they cannot leave the house. If they leave the house, then the asylum claim gets rejected. Essentially, they have to stay in the yes. house. Um, yes. In order to try to build a new life themselves, you've got Soap Dusu, um, who turns up in it. He was he's in something called Gangs of London, the TV show. If you get a chance to watch that, apparently he's very good in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mosaku plays his wife, and uh, she's in Fantastic Beasts. And also, you get in the sort of British role, you get Matt Smith playing the sort of case officer. He's a pro, he used to Doctor Who, and um, I think he's also in The Crown as well. But he, he popped up in it as well. Um, what do you think of this one? Well, when I seen the synopsis for this movie, I was like, oh, Christ, here we go. Is this going to be a scary movie? Am I going to have to watch it with all the lights on? <laughs> um, but luckily enough, I did actually watch it through the day today, so it wasn't too bad. But I did actually enjoy it. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Um, something a wee bit different. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah it's, it's more of a kind of suspense thriller rather yep. than just a straight fucking creepy horror movie. Yeah. Um, you know, it plays heavily on the uh, the kind of like African kind of ideology of like uh, uh, like kind of witchcraft and all that kind of stuff. It plays heavily on that. Yeah. 
Uh, so that was kind of quite an interesting concept because obviously these kind of beliefs are still very strong with people. Yep. Even when they come to this country, they still obviously carry that kind of belief with them. Yeah. Um, I liked what they'd done with it because it seemed like he was just losing the plot mm. within the house. Um, and then as kind of things went on and on, it did actually unravel and it was actually quite a good story. Um, but the, the not, twist they have and they start the third act when you find out like how they get to Britain. I'm not going to spoil people because it's a, it's a really interesting mm. How they get yeah. to Britain, you see, you see at the start and you think you know how they get to Britain and what's happened, but then they sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. that about maybe about two thirds of the way through the film. And that's really shocking. It's really, and it makes you sort of reassess everything else you've seen in the film, which I thought was really well done, really clever. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm going to agree with you on that point because that did, like, I, even I was about like, man, that is low. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm like, Jesus, man. But Jesus. Desperate, desperate times make desperate acts, obviously. Yeah. I think I liked this movie so much because I had just came off the back of like watching uh, a guy traveling, traveling to like places like North Korea, Venezuela. Generally, a lot of these kind of places that are uprising and having problems. It was, I think this guy hit me a wee bit harder because I'm like, it's shit that in 2020 people are still having to deal with a lot of this kind of stuff yeah. and having to like like leave their homes because there's other people trying to come in and take it for some reason because yeah. apparently there's not enough land for everybody. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I liked how this like movie was predominantly shot within the house, which yeah. I always quite like. It's yeah. always to for me that shows a really good like director if they've pretty much not got a lot of like space to play with but they still create a really good movie out of it oh yeah that's what yeah that's what i get a wee bit of a kick out of i'm with you like i i really enjoy films like sort of the one house one area setup because it it shows a lot you've got something to be very clever and you know um and inventive of what you do in order to make that space bigger and make it more interesting you know if you've ever seen a film called free fire um, Mm. and it's a little bit of shootout in a warehouse but to use only the warehouse mm. with one shootout over the course of an hour is you have to really invent it to do it. And um, even something like Kevin Smith's Red State is all pretty much set within uh, that compound. It's again very clever. Uh, room as yeah. well, very smart as well. Ten Cloverfield um, Lane. Cloverfield Lane as well, great movie. Cause again, all set in this one sort of. For the majority of the film, is all set in this one sort of little complex. And um, I like about this film. A big part of it was the dynamic between the two leads. I thought it mm. really portrayed a marriage under stress really well. You know, clearly, yeah. clearly there was yeah, that magic. Gonna, that magic going to end. You can see it from almost the word go that no matter what happens, they're not destined to stay together. Because they may have loved each other in the past, but you can recognise the strain that magic under. And this is just a sort of the, the ghost in the court is just a, a sort of a manifestation of that stress that they're under. You know, you can you can see it, and and that's why it affects them even more greatly. That the fact that, that they are already under this sort of hanging grey cloud. Um, upon mm. the marriage, so I thought they played that really well and believably as well. You don't have, you don't get a lot of time to get to know them, but you do no. instantly kind of recognise them. You can and you can understand them, and maybe it comes from the fact that both people have been in relationships for a long time. So you can you can you can recognise stress, you can recognise when things aren't going well, but you can see it in them that things are, are definitely a dark, 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 dark. Even before they get mm. into the house, they're not in a good place. No, and <laughs> I did actually really like this scene. Where uh, uh, the guy is sitting in the living room 
and like obviously there's all the holes in the wall mm. and then it's all the faces in the wall i was yeah. like oh my that is creepy as yeah, like fuck it, it is, you said it started it's, it's more like a thriller it is a thriller i think more than a horror film but there are definitely a lot of moments of genuine like horror moments in it that do make you jump like, mm. maybe jump more than a few times and a yeah. couple more were just jump scares and some like loud noise flashing light something like that makes you jump that couple yeah. was just a just genuine just a creeping dread that just was sort of milking away through the film and then there's a wee spark that makes you just like you recognize something you see something and it just makes you properly jump so i did kind of mm. use both tools you know the jump scare and the creeping threat it's also interesting yeah. the other aspect but, that was really well done as well but but done really well where neither side was overused it was I mean, like a good perfect balance yeah. It's always gonna film you can convince you to watch, you know, because you can get it's a horror set in one house and blah blah you're probably like you would be more put off by it. But if you mm. push the thriller angle towards you, you're more intrigued to watch it. I think and that's mm. something maybe you can satisfy both urges with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not particularly gory for the most part. There's no. not really a lot of gore in it. Apart from the end bit, where end also um, we're not going to spoil it, but also it doesn't help when I know that my missus also does that kind of stuff, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, man! <laughs> my Wait, you don't mean she you don't mean she murders people. You mean she she tries to cut people open occasionally? Yeah, she like as they call it, uh, gloving. You yes. know, you're just yeah. like, yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. No, don't <laughs> Yeah. Um, but no, I really, I really enjoyed this film. I think, again, economical of its time, it's only about 90 minutes long again, but it moves, it, it uses yeah. time well, it doesn't waste a lot of time, which I think is really, again, impressive. Um, so no, I really I really enjoyed this film. And it, it's, horror is something that maybe I think might come out, horror could come out, COVID, horror could come out of COVID really strongly because mm. there's an the ability to make films in a COVID environment but still do them really well. Trying to do the big mm. budget film and the comedy might be, might be harder because you need sort of more ensemble cast and sort of the big effects and the big set pieces. But horror, when you boil it down to like sort of just one room or one house, it can be done so effectively. So, and also, would we all recognise this idea of been living in a the one place for like you know nine months on end and going a bit stir crazy? So, I got a feeling that horror could be the sort of genre that comes out of the COVID sort of times in a really strong way with it, in terms of like what content it produces compared to other things. Mm, yeah, totally. Totally. Like how you like yeah. how do you like how do you like a romantic comedy right now? How how do you write that? Like what what's, what's how does that happen? Well, all I know is I'm glad I'm not starting puberty in 2020 because oh. there's going to be a lot of boys and girls who are going to have strange strange uh, urges for people wearing masks. Yep, and yeah. hand sanitizer turns them on. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to be KY jelly. It's going to be hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it stings! It stings! It stings! The back of his house. What you give out of ten? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give it seven out of ten because it was it was good. You know, I'm giving it. An I eight. did actually enjoy it. nice, nice. Solid eight. I think it's one of my favorite films of the year so far. Actually, because it really just the way it was done. Maybe it could be lack of content makes it sort of rise above slightly. But I thought, it was a, I thought when horror's done well, I really enjoy it. There's so mm. much like essentially shit horror that's not very good then when something mm. is done well you really do appreciate like it's not difficult it is difficult to do it well equally it's not difficult to do well it's, yeah you did impression characters yeah totally and i know we should be judging every movie on its own basis but coming off of the back of um john henry, john henry yeah. yesterday you know pretty much anything 
even a Fast and Furious movie would have been better than yesterday's effort. So I know for a fact when it comes to doing a Fast and Furious review, we may have to do like six months time. I'm definitely not asking you to do because you'll just like just you'll just <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Madness, right? Next week you'll take a break. Next week, so we'll hopefully have somebody else on on pod next week, which will be interesting. And um, we'll be talking yes. about failing that. Just crack the glass. Yeah, if you need to, we'll update the last one of your show. But we've got Arkansas, which is on Netflix. And um, they kind of, I think it looks mm-hmm. like a basic kind of like um, bank robbery type, you know, movie. So it's quite interesting. You've got, we're well, talking about Mangrove, which is on BBC iPlayer, which is a sort of, you might, you probably like this one. I think you should watch this one regardless of whether you talk about it or not. Um, it's essentially the British version of The Trial of Chicago 7. It's about a riot that took place ah, okay. in London during the 1970s. Um, and okay. again, it's a, a, a black guys are all I think it was black guys that are uh, they're up on trial, and it's sort of the, the racial prejudice towards them by the British establishment and the British courtrooms and the police and all that kind of stuff. So again, apparently getting great reviews by Steve McQueen, who directed uh, *Film of a Slave* and *Widows*, so it should be a really good film. And he's doing, apparently done he's done five feature-length films for the BBC and under his under a guy that called, called Small Axe. This is the first one that's due out. He's doing the one out every week for the next like, five weeks. So, um, Mangrove is the first one that's due out, or it's out now. So, it's on BBC iPlayer, so one to watch. And also, we have got Train to Busan Peninsula, the follow up to the magnificent Train to Busan zombie mm. film, which I don't know if you saw, but it was one of the best zombie films in the past like 10, 15 years. No. And um, so this, is, this is the follow up. Yeah. I watched today. <laughs> You've recommended that a few times. Train to Busan is. One of the films where, even if you're not a zombie movie fan, I think you can still appreciate how fucking good Train to Busan is. Um, well mm. or not, Train to Busan Peninsula lives up to those, we shall discuss next week. But yeah, that is us for next week. Barry, where can people find us? All the usual social media haunts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, That's at great. Three Beers in a Movie. That's great, man. So for this week, I've been Richard, you've been drinking. I think, you've yes. been listening to <laughs> Three beers and a movie.